and I think you well you certainly will have had this more <laughs> more than anybody but as you talk about that a type and kind of getting things right before and suddenly you know you have to understand you don't have control here which is another thing but also one of the things I think is difficult is if you are that person other people expect you to nail it and you feel therefore that you can't it's harder to say I'm actually not doing so well today. This is Cass, first-time mom to six-week-old Max. And in our conversation today, we talk about some of the unspoken aspects of becoming a mom, like the pressure that we and society put on ourselves to be the perfect parent. This led us on to exploring postnatal depression or perinatal distress, as it's called, and what factors make a mom more at risk. We also share the joys of early smiles and why the falling in love stage of infancy is so important. Cass brings up questions about evening feeds and how to improve night's sleep. And we talk about the value and the hazards of baby tracking apps, as well as early morning wakings. It's such an interesting and real look at early parenting. So stay tuned for this one as we discover more about the fourth trimester through the eyes of Cass and Max. Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back. I'm Meg Fora, and I'm delighted to be your host as we journey with new parents through the joys and questions that are part and parcel of the first year of parenting. And this week, we are back with Cassidy, mum to Max, to hear all about the hot topics of a mum to a six-week-old. Welcome, Cass. How was your week? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been really good from a Max perspective. I think the person who's gone through the most development in the last week is probably more me than, <laughs> than, as, as a mum than, than Max himself. He, any changes in Max have been a, a result of my changes um, okay. in development as a mum. And I think it, for me, it's been quite an interesting week from that perspective. But Max is great. <laughs> It's good to hear that. <laughs> that six-week-old period is such a milestone. I know that we spoke about in, in the second week of, of his life, we spoke about how little ones become more fussy in that 10, 10 days to 14 days. And that fussiness generally lasts until around 12 weeks. But from six weeks, it starts to decrease like mm. day by day, almost daily. Are you experiencing that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my husband went back to work this week because uh, after six weeks paternity leave, which oh, he's lucky, is, huh? That's not is, the norm. No, he is really lucky. But I think there it is a bit of a double-edged sword because it does mean it's really hard. He's had this wonderful six-week period, as have I, <laughs> and you get very used to doing it together. And then suddenly there's a change which actually I've been really busy this week, so it's not been too bad. I think it's been harder on him going from spending full days with Max to, to then only really seeing him first thing in the morning just if he if he's awake enough and then basically putting him to bed at night when he gets back from work and that's it. And I think wow. that's, that's really tough to, to go through that transition and especially almost at the six-week mark because Max is 
such a joy at the moment. Mm. You know, he hears me sort of going, oh, we're having the best time. <laughs> you know, he's really smiley now as Max. And he's really, from the moment he wakes up, he's really alert, interacting, chatting. It's, it's such a joy. You almost are really excited for when he's waking up rather than once upon a time and you're like oh no <laughs> I've got a, a, a mad hour now but no he's he's just an absolute joy uh he really is yeah, yeah. and it often has to do with that kind of when they start smiling now I know Max started smiling just after four weeks if I remember correctly yeah. but 90% of babies start smiling by six weeks I mean really the majority do and I think at that point they just become so cute and so interactive <laughs> And I think even though Max, I was going to say, even though Alex started smiling, even though Max started <laughs> smiling at just after four weeks, I've really noticed this week he's smiling a lot more and he's, it's, you know, you can make him smile rather than mm-hmm. he just sporadically smiles. There's something that happened in his mind that made him smile before, but you didn't really know what it was or mm-hmm. why he was smiling. Whereas now, you know, you can interact with him and make him smile. And he, he's really giving back. And he was actually, he, the, I left him with my mum yesterday. So for the first time he was without either Alex or me. That was the first time we'd done that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just an hour, but you know, I came back and mum had been, she said, he's just smiling and chatting. And, <laughs> so, you know, I've had the best time with him. So, so precious. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the developmental milestones and focus for this age are falling in love. So that's not one of our emotional milestones that starts to happen from now until three months old. So he, he is already identifying that he's that, that he, he kind of likes you, but over the next couple of weeks, he'll actually decide that he is you and you are him and that he is, you know, that, that he really wants to be with you and he prefers you to other people. He won't have separation anxiety. That only comes at about seven months, but he will really yeah. start to fall in love with significant carers. And that's, you know, that kind of smiling, it's, you know, nature's an amazing thing because it, it makes you interact with them more, just like your mum experienced. And so then, then you kind of, give them a signal, they play it back to you, which is a smile. So you do more. Yeah. And this and this is actually, scientists call it the serve and return phenomenon, where he, you, you serve something, he returns a smile. So you hit back. And so mm. before you know it, you've got this kind of, kind of almost emotional volley going backwards and forwards. And through this little one start to bed down their, their kind of love for one significant person or two, three, four significant people, which forms the basis of all future relationships. So, you know, when we talk about these early days on an emotional level and attachment specifically, it's just such a critical time. It really is. Yeah. And what's great is actually because, you know, mom and dad are really lucky they're here, but Alex's dad um, and stepmom are in England, you know, and so luckily he, the, Alex's dad is coming over again in a couple of weeks because, as you say, it is really important, it's, it, especially with Max changing so much. I mm-hmm. think it, for those important family members, it's it's tough when mm-hmm. you're not right there. It has created a slight challenge in the daytime feeding. I don't know if this is normal, but it means that he is not as focused on feeding because he is so aware of the world now and alert and interacting with me quite often in the day when he's feeding he'll pull off and smile and coo at me and want to interact with me and I'm like get back on 
yes. it's making feeding a little bit more challenging. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that he's doing that. It's it's quite early for that. Um, it usually okay. actually happens a little bit later. But you know, m- maybe this what we thought was going to be a settled baby is actually going to be a social butterfly. Yeah. So so time will tell, and we can talk a bit more about that. But um, it is quite early for that. But it does happen that our social butterflies start to have, you know, they start to really want the social engagement. So as soon as their their hunger is taken care of, they'll pull on and off. It's very frustrating. So, yeah. but you just have to kind of go with it because it's it's actually very cute. It is very cute, but my concern is that especially it seems to happen more so in the afternoon. And it feels as though he's therefore not feeding properly. And it does seem to be providing a bit of a challenge at bedtime because he's then starving at bedtime. And Alex is doing the feed, but I have to keep going up with like top top bottles because he's just absolutely starving. Is that? So that's quite interesting. Yeah. So, so look, first of all, milk supply does dwindle in the late afternoon. We know that. That's because as our stress kind of gets, you know, starts to increase and or, or not stress, but just almost like the stress of the day and, and our thresholds start to decrease a little bit. Um, and so as that happens, we do produce less breast milk. So sometimes little ones pull on and off because of that, because they're wanting to, you know, they go on and they try and latch again for to, to get it going again. So that does happen. But I'm quite interested, just explain to me, is so is, is are you doing all, all day feeds, breastfeed, and then and Alex is doing nighttime bottle feed is that correct yeah so I don't know if you well I'm sure you do last week I was telling you about the thrush so Mm. we went to the doctor and I was given because they decided I had ductal thrush um Mm. it had been passed on to me and then that meant that we were just passing it back and forth and Mm. so it wasn't it's not going to be getting any better it still hasn't completely gone but anyway so they gave me a pill to take but it meant I had to come off breastfeeding for 24 hours so I had to express and then we did 24 hours of bottle so in the lead up to that we started doing the odd feed with a bottle so that he was used to it and then he did absolutely fine for 24 hours of the bottle and he actually slept really well after the bottle in the evening that we had the best night we'd had and so we did the bottle again the next evening and he's doing really well so we've decided a, it means Alex, when he gets back from work, can actually have some time with him and put him to bed. And B, he seems to sleep really well after a bottle of milk. So yes, that's what's yeah. happening. Okay, that, that's, that sounds super. So what I would actually do, and I, I suggest this actually, even if you were, if even if you were doing the breastfeed, is to actually do a single feed one side before bath time. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then he has bath so that he's not kind of really fractious and irritable for that, for that bath if, if I mean if, if that's how he's indicating that he's really hungry then Alex does the full bottle feed as mm. as the evening feed which is absolutely fine the full number of mills and then see how he settles after that and then sometimes they actually want another top up just 45 minutes later so they fall asleep 45 minutes they wake up and then they have another feed is that what he's doing that he's doing that kind of no once he goes he goes he's just taking a while and I have been giving him a bit of a feed before bath to Great. get us through because actually I saw that on the, the Parent Sense app. It, mm. it kind of implies, it, it gives that on the, mm. the suggested routine. It's just, it, and he's absolutely fine until he is in Alex's arms and the bottle's there. And then he just seems to, I mean, Alex says he's just like gulping at the thing and Alex having to calm him down. So, yeah. And he finishes it completely. Complete. I mean, he finishes I put we because he wasn't finishing it, and so 
we were we then reduced the amount we're putting in the bottle because I didn't want to waste the milk. But now I'm going up with a top up because he's he is wanting the full amount and finishing that. So definitely in principle, whenever a baby's finishing a bottle completely and and behaving like that, then increase the the mills or the ounces by by one serving. So so if, if if you were doing formula, in other words, you would actually do one extra scoop of formula, which the with, with the corresponding amount of water. If you were doing breast milk, which you're doing, just take it up by about fifteen to thirty mils, okay, um, or, or an ounce or two. So yeah, I would definitely do that, and um, especially because I mean it's it's working like a charm with him. Then actually getting a longer stretch in the evening, so that's really lovely. Yeah, it is, and it's really nice. He's now doing. At a minimum of five hours, but usually five and a half hours. And then he will do a three hour. But the issue comes, or issue, it's not an issue, but the, the trickier time is after 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. If he goes down again at a 4 a.m., so say he wakes up at 3.30 and I put him down at 4 a.m., we are not going to get more than an hour and a half maybe after 4 a.m. He just can't do that longer stint again uh, from four. If he goes down at you know, three thirty, then he might go through till six. But if he if he goes down at four, it's just at quarter past five is probably the, the the time we'll hear rumblings and and he won't sort of settle unless he is. Uh, Alex went to go and settle him this morning, and he sort of settled. But again, he seemed hungry again, so I gave mm. him a feed and he fell asleep again. But then it's only forty five minutes. He just can't do that mm. longer stint after four a.m. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So, I mean, I, I think you probably have seen it. We've discussed it before on the app. We have morning time being between five mm. and seven, and that is pretty typical that little ones actually can wake as early as five, which when you're a first time mom, that's just like absolutely an ungodly hour. Like what are they doing awake at that time? They're not supposed yeah. to be awake, but the reality is that anything after five is morning. So, you know, it, it can be quite typical that they'll have that four, four AM feed and an hour and a half later at five thirty, they're actually awake, waking up for the day. Mm doesn't necessarily mean that they're hungry then, but it means that they, they've kind of woken up. But, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with doing, and, and I often have spoken about splitting your 6 a.m. feed into two, and that would be kind of one at like 4.30 to see if they'll go back to sleep, like one side then, and then the other side at 6 to reset your day in terms of, of feed times. Mm-hmm. So that does actually happen the way that, you know, in fact, what you pretty pretty much it sounds like you're doing, that you're then doing a 3 a.m., a 4.30, and then oh. a 6 and if you just split that 4.30 and that 6, so in other words, if you were formula feeding, you'd be giving a little bit of a feed at 4.30 and a little bit more at 6. Breastfeeding, give one breast and then the other yeah. breast. And then that kind of resets you for the day. So, you know, okay, the first feed of the day was actually 6 a.m. And okay. then we can go through the rest of our day with our with our feeds being, you know, three hourly apart. Are you managing to stretch three hourly now? in the day it's sometimes sometimes not so much but actually he's really settled down in terms of the spitting up and that sort of thing and mm-hmm. I was so when I, I um talked about how I've gone through the the development what part of that was actually adjusting to trusting my instinct more but also just going with him not trying to necessarily fit a square peg into a round hole. There were two things that happened. One, the two rules when you're pregnant that you read everywhere is sleep when the baby sleeps and don't compare to other babies. And I had to get some work done. So when he was asleep, I was working. I wasn't sleeping. So I started to become more tired. And a friend of mine, her baby started doing unbelievable nights. And because I was tired and not sleeping a day, I thought I would need Max to do these nights. <laughs> mm. And so I started 
trying to, I over-researched and I, I was asking her, what are you doing? And I started trying to make changes to everything that we were doing um, that was actually working perfectly well and was absolutely in line with where he should be at that age. Yes. <laughs> And of course, the more changes I made, the worse it got, which meant the more tired I became until I got to sort of breaking point one Sunday. And luckily that was, that breaking point made me hit the reset button because, yeah. I, you know, I just was really, I, I was, I've been so lucky. I haven't really had that absolutely fraught early motherhood feeling, but I had it in that mm-hmm. week because I was working, not sleeping and pushing Max too hard to try and sort of fit into something that he just wasn't, mm. that wasn't Max. Anyway, so I hit the reset button on that Sunday and I went, I, I had a sleep, first of all. And then um, I also just said to myself, I'm going back to what, what we were doing. And I stopped researching and Googling how to do this, how to do that. And I just went completely back to being led by him. I actually stopped myself obsessively checking on the and I think it's part of because my job is in data, partly data analytics. Yeah. I was obsessively looking at the parent sense data and looking for patterns and looking for, and of course, at this age, that's not necessarily there at all. And you said it on our last call about the shaded pieces, you know, for a newborn, they're not really there because you can't mm-hmm. give them a routine. And I was obsessively trying to create that. And mm-hmm. I, stop doing that I actually have stopped for a period tracking to mm-hmm. so that I've got nothing to analyze mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's another thing I, I sort of found I've changed the way I use the app which I've really enjoyed rediscovering it I, you know the all the articles and the different play times during the day and the, the, sorry, the different activities during the day mm-hmm. rather than just data 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 yeah it's absolutely fascinating that you say that so so first of all i mean you you touch on a very important thing and that's listening to our gut instincts as mums the problem is that when you have information overload you actually can't hear that gut instinct anymore and and that i think is the problem with it's it's part of the problem with being so connected now you know in terms i mean we always had it i mean even in my first born now he was born it was really early days we didn't have a plethora of information online we certainly didn't have social media so in some ways that was easier but then there were books so you know I also was like you over analytical over studying it and trying to squeeze him into some sort of routine that we I felt worked in actual fact it was you know completely counterintuitive so going with your gut it is easier said than done but it is very important so that's the first thing the second thing that's really interesting about what you said is about that how you use the app so when we created the app when I created the app we had no tracking on it. And there was a very good reason for that. The reason was that I wanted people to have the content to be able to understand what to do and the guideline for the routine, which is very loose in the early days, um, as you've noticed on the app, and not to track because I because I do think the tracking is, is actually, I, I think it's problematic. I think we, we do track too much. What happened in the early days is that people gave us feedback and it had to have tracking. And we had it, it was overwhelming because moms would say, I use this app for tracking and parent sense for everything else. I use this app for tracking and parent sense for, for everything else. And I realized we had to have it there, particularly for new moms, because there is a, there is some benefit to tracking in the early days in that you're actually so foggy that you can't remember when last you fed, you know? So, yeah. and I think that's why we start to do it. And then slowly but surely, like you said, becomes a data driven kind of obsession. What's very interesting is when now look at the super users of the app. Those are people who are, are actually using it for the articles, the activities, the recipes. And as Max grows older, 
the pieces of that will actually become greater and greater, more and more useful to you. You'll see it. Um, for instance, when he hits 17 weeks and between 17 weeks and 24 weeks, whenever he starts solids, you'll be able to unlock the solid section. Yeah. And there you get like the most incredible content of meal plans, of um, recipes, of shopping lists. Um, so it kind of, the app kind of grows as your baby does. And it's so, so it's very interesting for me that you've actually noticed that and highlighted it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, I completely agree. It was really useful in the early days because I had no idea also sort of keeping an eye of how much he was sleeping and, you know, coming in and out and things like that. But also you know, one of the things, you know, I just, which boob am I supposed to feed on now? Which mm-hmm. did I do last? And mm-hmm. as you say, you're very foggy and, and it was really useful. But I went through that transition where I then, you know, I remember sitting at night while he was on my shoulder looking trying to go back well that was a good night what do we do in the day there and how, mm-hmm. how you know and suddenly then the day I was trying to manipulate too much and mm-hmm. so I think it was it was just because I've stopped all that I'm much more relaxed mm-hmm. with him now and he is feeding off that and you know I'm speaking to another friend of mine who's a mum she's just had to stop breastfeeding she's expressing a bottle feeding because she was in so much pain that she's had to stop and mm. she said you know she's noticed such a difference in her baby because she was dreading giving a feed because mm. of the pain so she was very tense and her baby and it does it's amazing how much they feed off your energy and mm. the more relaxed you are as a mum the more joyous your your baby yeah. is and and to take those measures to do what you can to try and take pressure off yourself mm-hmm. it's absolutely true you know it's such a counterproductive thing to say to people is you know your baby's feeding off your anxiety because it almost makes you more anxious because then you think oh my goodness mm-hmm. i'm anxious now it's gonna it's a vicious cycle but i do think uh, something you said there which i absolutely love was try and notice the things that can take the pressure off yourself and sometimes it's a toxic friendship it's it's a girlfriend who just does everything perfectly and makes sure that you know that she's doing it all perfectly and sometimes mm-hmm. it's social media like the, in, the instagram babies and moms who look like like they've just got matrescence totally sorted, you know, this transition to motherhood completely sorted. And sometimes it's a mother-in-law who just asks you, don't you think he should be feeding now? Or don't you think he should be, you know, which, which you don't have, you know, right down your neck, but some mums will have that. And so I think, and then sometimes it's actually listening to only one voice. And that's one of the things that I, I do try and say to um, new mums is just try and find the one voice of reason and listen just to them because whether it's your health visitor or your pediatrician or, or the parent sense app or, or me or who Whoever it is, because there will be a voice of reason who actually resonates with you and listen to them and shut the rest out. Um, because the noise is really what creates the anxiety, I think, often. Absolutely. And and it goes back to, as you were saying, that information overload. You mm. you because you can Google one question and you've got five articles at the top. You know, well, you've got mm. you've actually got thousands. Yes. Um, and you can read them all and that you know, they can be contradicting or it's mm. really difficult, and then you've got to try and work it out. And there's only one person that actually also knows your baby but none of those articles or Mm -hmm. anything know your baby and Mm -hmm. and that's the that's the point I was trying to go off a a standard baby and Max is is obviously he's an individual and you know you can't you can't just mold him to do something I think all of those things are really useful to give you a guide and idea because they're obviously they're generic and there's there's science behind them but you've got to be able to apply them to your own individual baby Mm. and yeah just be able to, to relax yourself because that has been my biggest biggest transition it's coincided with that six-week change that we were talking about at the start but 
even before that, I just noticed it was almost, it was almost to the second, as soon as I started saying, okay, enough now, Max yeah. was suddenly like, oh, oh thank yeah. God, stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word, the journey into motherhood. It's been so interesting chatting with you about it, Cass, it really has. And I think that more than even all, almost all our other podcasts, this one is the one where, yeah, we've really hit the, you know, the nail on the head that this transition is so common for everybody. And you know, I think some people will have it even more accentuated than you do. Um, you know, there are, there's a lot that happens in our past that defines how we become mothers. Things like a small thing like your own relationship with your mom. You know, some moms who are listening won't have had an involved mom or may have had a fractured relationship with their mom or may have not had a foundation of attachment with their with their mom, for instance. And and that really has massive impact on how uh, on how you manage the ne- the next stage. Another thing that has you know a, a massive impact on becoming a mom is are things like poverty and and external situations or extraneous situations, having an abusive partner, having to go back to work after two weeks. You know, all of these type of things put additional pressure on your relationship with your baby and and how you emerge into motherhood and how you cope. And then there's also your personality type. Mm. And you and I are both quite A-type people. And A-type moms also battle a little bit more sometimes because it's like, it has to be right. It has to be perfect because Mm. everything else that we've done in our life, everything we've put our hand to before this has been really good. And then this comes along and it's a whole bundle of like mess every day. And it's every day is different. Nothing's predictable. Nothing can be controlled by us. And I personally really battled with my firstborn, just trying to, that transition into motherhood for me was was really massive. And I don't think that I suffered from postnatal depression, but I definitely suffered from postnatal anxiety, which very interestingly, you know, we used to call postnatal depression PND, postnatal depression. It's now PND, postnatal distress. And I know that I had postnatal distress because my anxiety levels were very, very high. And and in fact, it didn't go away ever really with my children. You know, I always had high anxiety around making sure that they were okay and, you know, that weight of responsibility. But so so there there are all these factors that determine how much a mum is going to be able to, or how anxious she's going to be and how she's going to cope. But I do think that going with the flow and kind of moving into their timing is very helpful. And there's just one final thing on that you made me think is, and I think you, well, you certainly will have had this more, (laughs) more than anybody, but as you talk about that A type and kind of getting things right before and suddenly you you have to understand you don't have control here, which is another thing, but also one of the things I think is difficult is if you are that person, people, other people expect you to Mm. nail it and you feel therefore Mm. that you can't, it's harder to say, I'm actually not yeah. doing so well today because you're, you don't want to, you know, you're not going to let people down, but you feel like people have got mm. an expectation of you. And so, and I think that's a really to, to forgive yourself. And, and as mm. soon as you do say to somebody, everybody's re- there ready to help, but in that moment you can't see it. And I think for other mums, if you're feeling like, well, oh, you ca- I can't say I'm not doing it because people expect me to get this right. And I, I you're very capable. Yeah. You've got to get rid of all of that and just say, yeah. I'm actually having a tough day and, and lean on other people because it's only going to get worse if you don't, if you don't yeah. do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, you said it, I did have it in some ways harder, harder because yeah. I had written a bestseller. Yeah, exactly. 
and had two children. And along came Emily, my third born, who has always marched to her own tune. And so <laughs> she, she was my cesarean section baby because she just, she wasn't going to come out. And, you know, there was no other way to get her out. So we had to come out through the sunroof. And she was also my baby who had um, lactose intolerance. And she still does have actually. And, and I, prior to that, you know, it was a buzzword. Everybody says, my baby's got reflux. My baby's got lactose intolerance. It was like every baby had that. And I was, you know, kind of of the belief that actually it's overdiagnosed. It's not, not such a big thing. And then I have a baby who does have. So I kept saying it isn't, but this baby puked literally morning, noon, and night. And so there were so many questions that I didn't have the answers to. And there was an expectation. I'll never forget getting a a message on Facebook saying, you know, you're so lucky you'll have it all sorted. And then I took that whole message and I wrote a blog about it. And I said, actually, motherhood is the great leveler. And that's what I called it. It levels you. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what book you've written. Every baby's different and it makes you feel insecure. It just does. So absolutely. Yeah, it really does. Well, I've loved our chat today, Cass. Thank you for the time. Always. You are just so generous with sharing your time each week with us and sharing your journey with Max. And I know that this this session will really resonate with mum. So thank you. Good. No, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, look forward to the next. Excellent. <laughs> thank you, Kess. Check right. next week. Thanks, Cheers. Meg. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download Parent Sensor and take the guesswork out of parenting.